Welcome to Humans of Twitter, a podcast where we discover the stories behind the people behind the Twitter accounts. People that are interesting, opinionated, and surprising. I'm your host, Steve Malk, and today I'm speaking with someone who describes themselves as editor of the Chaser Quarterly. None of these tweets represent my own views. Humans of Twitter is their stories in their words in a little more than 140 characters. Please welcome today's addition to the Humans of Twitter list, Charles Firth. Hello, Steve. Charles, hello. It's wonderful to be speaking with you. Can I start by asking you this, please? In social settings, how do you introduce yourself? Um, oh, I don't know. Well, in social settings, I think I'd just say, hi, I'm Charles. That's adequate? That's enough? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, or, you know, and if, um, depending, like, if the person's very attractive, I might say, hello, I'm Brad Pitt. What's that mean? <laughs> and I'm now available. Yeah, and I'm now available, yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you what, you know, Angelina Jolie back on the market, that's got to be good for humanity. Well, I don't know. I mean, from the little bit, and I do I do really detest the fact that we are covering, or that the media broadly are covering this. Um, but, the, the, you know, she's back on the market, but the stuff that she's saying about Brad and the stuff that then people are saying about her... Man, is it a good thing that she's back on the market? Oh, really? Yeah, no. Well, I don't know. Yeah, if I was Brad, I would just say, look, here, have the kids. We've got, we've got six of them. You can have them. I can always buy some more. That's what we did <laughs> first time around. And just sort of be done with it. And maybe just argue for more money. Say, look, you can have yep. the kids. I'll, I'll take $500 million, please. Yeah. I, think it's, I think you're allowed. I think with the super rich good-looking people, mm-hmm. you're allowed to comment. Like, it's just, it's like royal royalty and everything like that. Like, the fact that they were fortunate enough to be born with such amazingly fantastic genes means that they're public property. By your measure, though, that means that Carl Stefanovic's divorce off-limits. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Completely off-limits. It's outrageous, <laughs> isn't it? Like, that's just a personal thing. Yeah, because yeah, it should be done entirely based on a genetic um, basis. Where if you if you reach a threshold of sexiness, mm-hmm. um, people get to just comment. The more beautiful. I can't believe we're talking about this. It's such a weird. <laughs> it's just because all morning we've been searching for a an article for the Chaser website to put mm-hmm. up there, knowing that. You know, you've got to follow, like, the whole way the media works now is you've just got to find out what's trending on Facebook and and do that because it's the crack cocaine of of the media. And it, so we, we, had to, we had to start thinking about Brad and Angelina. It's terrible. I'd much prefer to be thinking about GDP figures and, uh, you know, and, you know, economics and, and the US elections and everything like that. But, you know, but Brad and Angelina, it's just much bigger than all that. Well, the catch is that those other things will come, right? I mean, we've got the first, at time of recording, the first US presidential debate is next week. Yes, yes. And I don't think Hillary should turn up. Just send a proxy. No, I think she should just go, nah, he's a bigot. I don't want to be in the same room as him. I don't think that he I, I don't uh, I, the only person who benefits from the debate will be Trump mm. and he'll be very good at it and everything like that just don't give him the just like and the whole way that he's got to where he is is to do things that are unexpected I think Clinton should start fighting fire with fire just sort of go nah I'm not going to legitimize your opinions they're too abhorrent um mm. you you can you can turn up on your own but you'll be just wanking in front of your own audience um, because I'm not bringing my audience to the table. He really, Trump really has uh, taken hold of the crazy portion of, when I say the debate, I mean the broader campaign and those kinds of things because he can just say anything and, you know, act like Teflon, like the whole Bertha conversation that he's, Hillary Clinton started it, (laughs) but I finished it. I finished it. You know what I mean? No, we don't, Donald, because she didn't start it. You started it, and you're not finishing it. <laughs> no, but the whole thing is that he, because he's a first-time politician, he's not bound by the rules that all other politicians learn over time, which is that you can't 
tell lies all the time because you they end up coming back to bite you. But because he's only been a politician for five seconds, he doesn't. He's not constrained by any of those those rules. He, he's never. He's never had to be held to account before, and it's, it'll be too late before he breaks any promises or, you know, like, it, it, it's a completely different thing. And, and with all those sorts of, you know, birth of conversations and things like that, there's this concept in political science called the Overton window, which is, it's, the idea is there is an acceptable frame, like window of discussion, and, you know, and the perfect example is something like Brexit. Like 20 or 30 years ago, Brexit was a lunatic fringe idea that literally yeah. the lunatics in, in England um, would run in elections and get like literally 50 votes and they were all, and it was called the Referendum Party and it was this lunatic fringe who thought that Britain should do a referendum to get you know get out of Europe. And... The Overton window just shifted over time to include that thing. And that's what Trump is doing on so many political conversations, is just shifting the acceptable frame. So whether he wins or loses in November, it doesn't matter. Like, he's doing genuine, horrible damage to America on the way through. It's amazing. Does this mean, though, that based on my very little understanding of what you just said... That if Trump now waits it out, next time yeah. he can line up and he's if, if he misses out, he's more than likely to get the Guernsey. Well, or, you know, because he'll be 70, what, five by then. Um, a very young. Very young. Very, very I mean, fit. You know, you, you know <laughs> what I mean. I'm the, I'm the guy. Yeah, but it, you know, like he's a very fit seventy-five. But but what it does do is it paves the way for I don't know for somebody even more extreme than him, or you know, with a slightly you know younger countenance to come in with these sort of crazy ideas. Like like it, it is extraordinary to think that this sort of globalization that has advantaged global capital for sort of forty or fifty years is now being undone by the Republican Party. You would have thought that it would be the Democrats who ended up destroying globalisation, but it's actually Donald Trump himself. It's extraordinary. <laughs> it's crazy. It's so crazy. Now, this is not your first US election. You were you were in the country, weren't you, last time or the one before? Yeah, uh, well, I, I covered... Um, I did a documentary on the 2008 election. Mm. Um, I... What was I doing in 2012? No, I think I was just reproducing little children back in 2012. But, yeah, no, I've I've always uh, covered the last few. um, And one of the fun things to do is to go and make fun of all the (laughs) undereducated people in the, Mm. the southern states of America. But the whole thing is, like, we're just planning out the itinerary now and... We're just going, wait a minute, these are the swing states. You know, the people who are the most undereducated, like just hilariously undereducated, are going to be the people who, they're in the swing states, they're going to decide this election. So it's they've got real power, and not just, you know, for the future of America, but for the future of the world. Yes. It's going to be. It's going to be hilarious. It's going to be terrible. It's, like I'm really worried. I, I think I went and saw Trump in January um, at some rallies in South Carolina and North Carolina, yes. and um, we left. Like I was there with Ben Jenkins from Story Club and the checkout, um, and we left going, Trump's going to win. Trump's going to win this presidency wow. because he was so funny on stage. He was. It was like going to a one-hour stand-up where where it was sort of like a really great open mic where he didn't have any notes. He just riffed off his brain for an hour and and just kept the audience in the palm of his hand. It was was incredible. And you're just going, that's that's what's happening at the moment. If you look at, you know, everyone says, oh, well, hang on, we need, you know, he needs blacks and Hispanics to vote for him at least a little bit. But... 
you know, remember two-thirds of people who actually vote in America are still white. Like, the number of whites might only be 50%, but they disproportionately turn yeah. out for the elections. And um, that's, that's what's going to get it across the line. And there's enough dirt, and he's so good at spreading the dirt on Hillary. Like, Ugh, I, yeah. I, I, I don't know, you should. I, I encourage everyone listening to subscribe to his email newsletters and things because they're, they're mm. just brilliantly crafted pieces of screeds against Hillary. Every single one of them starts, you know, something like, Crooked Hillary Clinton says this, or and he and instead of writing his own, he'll often just forward. Like, I got this email from Barack Obama the other day. Look what they're trying to fundraise, you know, over on the Democrat side. What what cowards and crooks, you know, boom, boom. like yeah. just he understands that politics is about you know absolute man o man battle, and um, whereas. The Clintons, and I think actually the whole political establishment has got so used to constructing fake battles where there's no real sort of nasty, you know, slap down between people that they've sort of forgotten that actually, you know, the the human drama of people being nasty to each other is the thing that actually captivates people and, and swings votes. This is the level of political discourse in the United States. Yeah, and 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 if you look at it, uh, like, it, it, and it's not just the United States. Like Brexit was the same thing, right? Which is that there was one side going, "Oh well, you know, you know, we should remain in Europe. It's, it would be great." And the other side was going, "These these people are crooks. These people are liars. These people have just been funneling all your money to the European Union." And so one side had an actual proper, you know, confrontational campaign that made everyone go, what? Yeah, right, victim, yeah, there's there's the baddie, you know. And the other side, which is actually what sways people, and the other side, you know, put on this veil of respectability. I mean, and I do think that, you know, like even in the Australian elections, that was the same thing. That There was one side, like Malcolm Turnbull didn't really have a campaign but Bill Shorten, um, I think they only stumbled upon it late in the piece, but they they did actually have a campaign. They went, oh, look, Medicare is bad, you know, is bad under the libs and being made worse under the libs. They're yeah. the baddies. And, they, and everyone goes, oh, well, how come Medicare became the issue? And you're going, because that was the only one that somebody was actually, you know, making a horrible argument about the other side on, you know, like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like that's, that's the thing that actually in the, in a political campaign, the only thing that matters is saying the other side is shit. That's actually what moves people. It, it sounds to me, Charles, like the gentrification of politics is counterproductive. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I think, and I think also, I think the other thing that's happening is, it's so spread across the Twitterverse. Like, you know, mm-hmm. Trump, you know, like if FDR is remembered as the candidate that radio brought us and Kennedy's the TV candidate, you know, oh, yeah, yeah it, it, like Donald Trump is the Twitter candidate. He's hardly spent any money on ads. He spent nothing during the primaries and... And it's because actually all he has to do, he doesn't even have to go to campaign rallies. He can tweet things. He doesn't have to do press conferences. He just tweets his statement and and then it goes out, you know, dozen followers at a time, you know, like mm. ripples out. And that's why the echo chamber works so well because um, everyone's talking to each other. Like I was interviewing these people down in North Carolina who were just going, well, the last election was definitely stolen because I don't know anyone at all who voted for Obama in 2012. So clearly it was stolen because, you know, there was just, there was no way that everyone, you know, that a majority of people voted for Obama. And you're going, that's that's the echo chamber that America lives in. People can go through their entire lives believing that Hillary Clinton is a lizard person who is feeding, you know, yes. despoiling the water to mind control you through 
radio waves sent through free-to-air television signals because everyone else in their village also thinks that. I'm just... Wow. This has become a really depressing conversation. Yeah, this is horrible. Super happy fun time hour. Yeah, that's right. Oh, mind you, I should have been in part prepared for it because I I totally acknowledge what you're saying and and the the rationale for it. Um, At time of recording again last night on uh, ABC2 as a part of their Pride and Prejudice Week, Tom Tilly hosted a Hack Live uh, talking about Aussie patriotism and it really should have been removed and relabeled as... um, the United Patriots front, people that voted for One Nation and Australian Muslims. Because that's all it was. Yeah, right. Uh, and oh, there was a, an Indigenous person there. And, oh, yeah, she was holding her own, but it was all about this guy called Blair Cottrell, who is at least the face, if not the head, of the United Patriots front. And he was he was that kind of dogged, that kind of off-the-handle, crazy, unhinged, I'm just going to say crap. I'm going to say, I, I've found this little grain of half truth that if I keep repeating it, people will say that is the truth. Yeah. Um, people that support me anyway. And, and you know, he went even, he even, and Tom Tilly cut him off and I could have strangled him. Uh, he even was going to go down the path of, as, from what he was building up and winding up into that effectively it's the Illuminati that are allowing all of this to happen. Yeah. This Muslim immigration, multiculturalism. <laughs> yeah, so, and, well, that's the whole thing, isn't it? Like, it exists in Australia. Like, 50%, did you see that poll? 50% of people in Australia believe that Muslim immigration should be banned. I would love to see the sample size and the, uh, you know, where they, like, 50% of any people will tell you what you want it to do, depending on where you do that that. Uh, that polling, right? I think the, the, that poll also definitively proved that 50% of Australians are dicks. Like, <laughs> <laughs> the other interpretation. Yeah. Like that. Yeah. <laughs> it's horrible. Yeah, and the Venn diagram, the, you know, like it's just, um, it's, the, it's not a Venn diagram. Um, yeah, so, uh it's, but it's such traditional. This is the whole thing about Trump and the Blair guy and all that sort of stuff. Is n- none of these, you know, political technologies are new. Like the idea of using racism and us versus them and slicing mm. and dicing voters up so that you know you've got a a thin majority that um, that sticks with you to oppress the you know, a large minority. That's that's all, I mean, that's timeless. That's what people have done for centuries and millennia. Um, it's very, you know, in some ways it's it's so boring um, the way it's being done. But I, but I think it it comes back to what, what we've got with this, the way capitalism sort of has turned out is... I think everyone, even people who are in full-time jobs, feels genuinely precarious. We've allowed capitalism to create so much change in our society. There's there's such a turnover of just actual professions. You know, the, mm-hmm. like there's professions that is, exist today that didn't exist 10 years ago, but most professions that are here today are not going to exist in another 15 years, you know, 20 years. Like... Um, and and so there's this just extraordinary uncertainty um, that everyone feels, no matter how rich or you know um, powerful you are, that that means that I think people feel justified in striking out in trying to find victims because there's no there's no stability in their own lives. That's my pop philosophy um, version of it. What do you reckon? I, I, there are moments when I shake my head and look at, uh, even if I just focus on Australia, look at us and go, what are we doing? <laughs> How did we get to this point where adult adult conversation just seems to have boiled down to, I'm right and you're wrong and I don't care how many facts you present me with, I'm still right, that's my opinion. Like, oh, 
gosh. <laughs> and then there are other times when I just want to burn it all down and start again. Well, but I think that's the attitude of the Blairs and the Trumps and everything is what's well, so broken. You know, why don't we put someone in there who, look, he's, he's a crazy, probably psychopath narcissist who is incredibly incurious about the world. This but, is Trump. Yeah, but at yeah. least, um, you know, at least it can't be worse. <laughs> like, let's just burn it down, see what happens then. <laughs> The catch is, though, that if Trump gets in, he's going to burn it down for us. I mean, this is going to be the guy that has the ability to push the button. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Mind you, he's not going to fire it at Russia, given how much he loves Vladimir Putin, apparently. No, I think it'll be North Korea, won't he? That's that's the traditional thing. They'll just be boats line up. Mind you, like, every time a Republican gets into president, you sort of go, I can't believe it. Like, there's always this sort of boundary-pushing thing. I remember when George W. Bush was elected, or not elected, you know, it, like that Crawled whole post-9-11 world was extraordinarily, yeah. you know, the, the Patriot Act is, you know, a terrible piece of, you know, it just it, an awful abrogation of civil liberties and things like that. You know, same with Reagan. Like Reagan was, was a lunatic, <laughs> uh, you know, who unfortunately for all the hawks in his cabinet, you know, got Alzheimer's before they could sort of, you know, like, and so started actually, you know, believing in nuclear disarmament and things like that um, because he was, quote-unquote, off message. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, like, that's the other thing to think is to just go, oh, well, um, that's, yeah, I don't know. Who? It's uh, 2016. It's it's mm. going to be remembered as a year. This is an interesting year to be live. You know, when you've got Skittles. Yep. Yes. Re- re- you know, releasing press releases that say Skittles are not humans. <laughs> that is an extraordinary thing for a company, a confectionery company to have to confirm. <laughs> yeah, oh, yes. Like... <laughs> <laughs> And and then the stuff that's come out about the guy who originally came up with that that idea, um, you know, was connected to the Nazi Party back in the day, and all of that. It's like what, what? And that's oh my gosh, how can that be allowed to be a thing? How is it that we allow our politicians to speak unbridled misinformation, uh, you know, in our House of Parliament and the Senate? And just get away with it. They can just get up and say the sky is green and sit down and that's okay. Yeah, well, this raises the interesting thing of do you reckon we should, like, as the media, you go, you know, so Malcolm Roberts was on the project the other night yes. accusing Waleed Ali of um, being pro-terrorism. Yeah, exactly. Basically being one, I reckon. Um, I mean, look at him. But... It, <laughs> But the whole point is that Malcolm, you know, we, we, how he got like four percent, I think, of the Senate vote um, yep. to get elected. It's not he's not representative of ninety six percent of you know Australians. Um, you know, the the way the modern media is constructed though is, oh well, he's the senator. We should give him his time but he's lunatic he's a total lunatic you wouldn't like you'd sort of go no no it's a bit unfair like you know when I was growing up you know the thing that we were told is when people are sort of displaying signs of mental illness it's exploitative to put them on television because um you know they're clearly you know they're not in total control and it's it's you know you've got to treat people like that with respect um, and I think that that applies to Malcolm Roberts. Like he's he shows all the signs of paranoia, oh, and yeah. and and you sort of go, it, it's not actually, it, it, it's not a responsible thing to do to put someone with those sorts of ideas. Like he's allowed to say, I believe in free speech. He's allowed to say them. He can say them in Parliament, but he's not part of the general discourse. Don't allow the Overton window to 
to swing, you know, onto him simply because mm. it's cool and sensational. You know, it's 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 the news equivalent of the Brangelina split up. It's it's the easy exploitative, you know, politics. Oh, it's inches, yeah. Yeah, that's right. It's crazy. Oh, but, but that's, I guess, even a part of it. Like his, even his interview, and I know it's still on Facebook and YouTube and all of the places. Um, his interview with, I was Carrie Bickmore and Hamish McDonald, wasn't it? Because Waleed wasn't there. Yeah. I mean, they asked him, to be fair, serious, real, actual questions. And at one point, he just answered it with Sharia law. That had nothing to do with the question they were asking and made no sense in any context of what they were asking him. <laughs> it just, it's like it became a word game for him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which actually, I mean, did you ever um, edit your student newspaper or, or anything yes, like that? Did sadly, you? I did. Yeah, Yes, of course. Of course you did. But, um, <laughs> like, like you get those letters all the time, you know, when you're working at publications and student publications mm. and things like that. And you do sort of go, oh, isn't it sad that um, there's people who are so unhinged in the world? You know, we'll put that to one side and forget about it. You don't go, oh, let's put this on the front cover. Isn't it interesting that this lunatic <laughs> said all these crazy things that are provably untrue? Like it, it's sort of there's a sort of I think because um, the media is so unaccountable to anything anymore except for clicks, um, you don't you, you're not anchored by needing to fact check or or sort of yeah. construct an actual um, yeah a, a factually based article. It's it opinions. Are the news, you know, um, somebody's opinion is the newsworthy story. Yeah, yeah, let's present this crazy guy saying this thing. And, oh, no, we're not saying that. That's It's just what he said. But click and watch it because it's our thing and that way I get to meet a KPI. Yeah, 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 that's right. And and not just meet a KPI but, but actually make the money that's required to, yeah, you know, stay employed. Like, I know with the chaser, we suffer from this all the time, which is I think it would be our preference to not ever do satirical news ever again. Like it's a bit boring, right? <laughs> Doing, you know, the sort of satirical news updates on Facebook, whatever. But um they just they bring in millions of people a month yeah. onto the website and it means that we can then, you know, sell the Chaser Quarterly to them and sell subscriptions and cards or whatever and things like that. actually keeps yes. the whole business ticking over. And, and you know, we're actually looking into going into sort of more substantive gonzo journalism next year um, where we actually have more meaty, you know, well-constructed first-person narrative comedy but non-fiction journalism simply to break out of the cycle of, of what we've sort of set ourselves up with, um, which will be interesting. I, I don't know how successful it will be, but um, there's got to be a way to sort of be able to engage at a more substantive thing. And, and that's the thing that... Um, that's the other shift is that when we started The Chaser back in 1999, we had this principle um, which was that we don't ever, we never need to comment like no matter how big a story is if you don't if you can't add an extra sort of layer of analysis and insight then mm-hmm. you can just choose not to like no one's turning to the chaser and going wait a minute we need the satirical angle on <laughs> on this breaking news story if something's tragic or you know horrible you can just go, right, well, that was a huge story that it's not appropriate that the chaser do, or we can't think of any angle that adds to, to it. But the truth is that the way the, the social media slipstream works and, and something that has been philosophically under-theorised is the, the enormous power that the algorithms of Facebook and Twitter have on 
actually forcing you to follow through with this is well you can't you can't actually avoid commenting on the Brad and Angelina thing because that day nothing else is going to get close to the sorts of figures that you'll get if you do comment on that thing and that's simply it's a sort of self-fulfilling prophecy facebook yeah. you know identifies various topics each day as their little engines do and they serve it up knowing that that'll get more clicks and it's and it becomes it's a, you know it's the world's biggest echo chamber how are we going to fix this charles well uh i i actually think that um the solution is a thing called No Screens Sunday. Mm. The idea is that um, one the last Sunday of every month, um, screens should be as far as possible banned uh, from from all public spaces, and it should become a sort of almost religious thing, like um, going to church was back in the mm. you know centuries ago. Um, that essentially one refrains, you know, from using screens for one day a month. And it would encourage people to uh, talk to each other. It would encourage mm-hmm. people to sort of get out and do community things. You would um, – it, it means that, you know, uh, you know, if you're in local organisations or, you know, groups or whatever – that would be a the day that you set up community events and family days, and if, you know if you've got the school PNC, they would know to put on that day. And the government could actually actually participate in those Screen Sundays by making sure that you know there are events on at every school that schools would you know because part of the problem with schools is um, they can't afford to open on weekends mm. anymore for the community because. The insurance kills them, you know, and the government doesn't cover that. They could actually, you could actually create whole public spaces going, no screen Sunday is a way, you know, where we don't watch TV, we don't get on our phone, we don't get on social media. We talk to one another. I think it'd be lovely. Mm. I know it's completely hippie and idealistic, but um, <laughs> but I think, you know, you need practical... Like, you know, you can't say, oh, well, let's just change the way Facebook works. Or like, you know, it's never going to happen. I think it's going to come from from the bottom. It's going to come from little people getting together and going, oh, no, no, we're just going to – we're actually going to philosophically take a step back from the slipstream and slow down a bit. That's the only way it's going to work. And it would yes. be – it would be such a – powerful piece of political infrastructure across the spectrum, you know, from left to right, you know, actually getting people to participate in their own communities, you know, even just one day a month would be an extraordinary thing. Yeah. Imagine what could be achieved. I know. You could, like, I mean, imagine it it means you'd actually have time, like, because the idea is that, you know, you would also, you would make sure that you know, you you mandate them as almost like public holidays, where you encourage people to um, you know close their shops. You'd make it so that um, you know, like ideally, it would be no screens, no shopping mm-hmm. Sundays, um, where you actually you know just chill, chillax and spend time with the community. It's very hippie. It's never going to happen, is it? Well, it would only work up until, um, you know, the, the advertising agencies could work out a way to monetize it. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and, and then just like, you know, have you got your your mother her no-screen Sunday card? Yeah, that's right, yeah. yeah. Get flowers now. Bookmakers would uh, would love it. Book publishers, <laughs> I'd love it. This I, I thought you meant like bookies. Yeah, like no, bookies book- yeah that's right, that's right. <laughs> this Sunday, go to the TAB. <laughs> bet on who's going to be most bored. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, but you'd you'd find sporting events would would go through the roof if it was yeah. no screen Sunday. Like, and I think it's also one of those things where there's a real moralistic frame to it. There's a very conservative idea at the heart of that 
thing, the idea of all spending time together and not consuming every moment of our lives. And I guarantee you, if a, if a politician picked that up, if we, you know, you had a Bill Shorten going, I believe in no street Sundays. It's it's one of those aspirational things. Like even if only five percent of people did it half the time, um, I think everyone. It's an idea that that everyone can sort of rally around. You know. You could do it as a one-off. See, but you know, like you know, a polit- like you know, <gasps> like Earth Day, like Earth. Oh God, no, not like Earth. Day. <laughs> ah. <laughs> you know, Make my, it the same day. My sister once um, was uh, the minister for the environment in New South Wales, yes. and um, the Daily Telegraph, which is this horrible, horrible um, Murdoch newspaper. Uh, uh, you know, like just had this history of sort of staking out her house all the time. Oh, that's lovely, isn't oh, it? Oh, yeah. Very, you know, charming, charming people at the Daily Telegraph. But um, so, but she she was going out to some Earth Hour event because she was the minister and everything like that. Um, but her husband was Staying was going to be at home and he's a bit of a cynic. Like, I don't think he particularly... <laughs> feels that turning off your light bulb for an hour is going to sort of thing. But she forced him to sit in the dark for an hour <laughs> just in case a journalist, you know, took a photo, you know, stalked out her house, you know, because that's the sort of thing that they do. Environment minister yeah. in electricity use scandal, you know. <laughs> um, and so he just said he just sat there miserable for an hour in the dark. <laughs> Because oh. my bloody sister. So, yeah. I mean, this is, let's be fair, this is the same newspaper that is about to appoint Shari Markson as their national political editor. Are they, they're not. That is not it's true. It's been announced That is today. not true. That is oh, so Oh, that true. is the best. This, oh, 2016. What's going on? Oh, what, what is going on indeed? <laughs> oh, my brain. Charles, what are you going to achieve in the next 12 months? Oh, what am I going to achieve? Mm. Well, I'm going to become a lot more handsome. That's my mm. goal. Uh, I don't know how. Good. Partly because of Brad and Angelina um, sure. splitting up. So I've got to, gonna, um, you know, have a bit of plastic surgery or whatever. But then <laughs> a bit more chiselled. I'm thinking yeah. be really, you know, buff. Um, and then also, well, my plans are to... Keep doing Chase Quarterly, of course. That's all sure. going from strength to strength. Um, we just did a little pilot for uh, Triple M show yesterday. Great. I don't know whether that will happen. It's the powers that be. But yep. there might be some sort of – it would only be a couple of days a week that I'd do it. But Was somebody in the show called Macca? Uh, well, I think everyone in the show will have – as the last part of their name, or O, or E, like, Charlesy, yeah, Charlesy, yeah, Charlesy. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> no, except I don't know whether they do that anymore. I think it's more Charles. So I don't know. I'll have to work out my name. Um, and then, uh, and then the other project that. I've been developing for about three years now, and hopefully 2017 will be its year, is uh, there's a sort of... I've got this uh, idea. Um, I don't want to say too much, but it's it's a non-fiction gonzo narrative television show um, which would see me go around the world and construct an elaborate... A deeply elaborate hoax. So, um, and it's a six-part series. So I'm actually I'm going over to New York um, in about a week to see if I can get some co-financing. I've got a bit of financing here, but I'm just trying to stitch up an American um, right. network as well because uh, it's quite a sort of all-encompassing idea. It, like it's quite a big idea, but um, that 
is that's the other thing that would be on my 12 month agenda but they, they won't actually come out till 2018 but i'm hoping that for most of next year i'll just be involved in essentially a, a you know a sting style long con yes that will um that will amaze and alarm when you finally see it that allows you to fly around the world on someone else's coin. Exactly. I'm, I'm glad that <laughs> you've, you've picked up the key point of, <laughs> of this project. <laughs> well, I hope it gets up. It sounds pretty awesome. Anything that involves a global con, yeah, uh, I'm in on. I know. Well, I mean, there's plenty of... I think, you know, News Corporation is probably the best example of a global con. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. Scientology. I'm, Scientology. Did you know? I didn't know Scientology was banned because Steve Kinane's just released a book about Scientology in Australia, mm. and Scientology was banned in uh, Victoria, South Australia, and Western Australia for many years. Wow! Yeah, when it first started, like in the sixties or whatever. So, you know, hey, they were sort of right, weren't they? <laughs> How could politicians be so right and then so wrong again? Yeah, well, I think, well, uh, what we need is a good world war. I think, don't, don't you get the sense that that it, the whole world is just heading towards a world war? I mean, this must be what it was mm. like to live in the 1930s, where you sort of go, oh, it's all getting shit. It's just getting so shit. What's going to happen? There's something. This is really. Well, it feels like we're all playing with fire a bit. Oh, it's a bloody another world war. Oh, <laughs> shit. Well, there's always been the threat that if we do have another world war, that it'll be over in about, you know, four and a half minutes because, you know, intercontinental missiles and nuclear things mm. and all of that sort of stuff. Um,. Yeah, like it just it had happened and then be done, as opposed to say like another really land based conflict like Vietnam, where we can send a lot of these people that are really abhorrent, and they can go and and serve their country, and you know collateral damage. Yeah, but I don't know. Like, um, who are the rational? Like, who would actually nuke somebody else? In offence, besides North Korea, Trump, Trump, yeah, fuck, <laughs> yeah, and that is that's what's going to happen, isn't it? He's just going to start gonna doing little, little. There'll be little ones, yeah, just a little baby yeah. one. This one's just going to ruin this little sort of you know hundred kilometre square area. Well, you we know that after nine eleven, that was one of the because there's a ban on on small nuclear weapons. There's a, like. The non-proliferation treaty sure. um, means that you, you've, your nuclear weapons have to be of a certain size to be, you know, internationally respected as legal, right? Because they don't want people yes. letting off really little, you know, briefcase bombs that are nuclear bombs. And I think it was Cheney who forced changes to that so that America could uh, develop um, briefcase bombs that were... Nuclear. Gosh. Gosh. <laughs> another conflict would be insanity because all of the things that we've seen in movies and TV and film and heard about in actual real life would come to pass. I mean, it would be germ warfare. It would be nuclear warfare. It would be laser-guided robots warfare. Oh, it'd be ludicrous. Yeah, laser-guided. Yeah, you're right. Well, that's the drones. They, I mean, that exists. That's the whole thing is we've got this concept that, oh, well, these things are going to happen in the future, but actually they're all that a lot of those things actually are happening now. And, you know, the fact that we're all going to lose our jobs in the next 10 years to robots, that's that's another thing that nobody's talking about. That, that, that is going to happen. There's not going to be any more truck drivers and train drivers and car drivers. They're all gone. Hey, Charles. Yeah. <laughs> We need to stop this before we get into a very dark, dark place. <laughs> yeah, no, and oh, because the other one is um, journalists. Like, so, yes. you know, I mean, it's been happening for a while, but it's now like, you know, Facebook sacked all its editors who create this, the trending topics and everything like that. But increasingly, you know, 
the aggregators, uh, you know, that use automated systems are better than humans at curating, you know, editorially curating magazines and things like that. So that's gone. There's nowhere left. We just have to sit by the pool. Be terrible. I can think of worse things. <laughs> yeah, no, I think I think as long as you, I think the key is that because, and this is this is the whole shift, right? Is that yes, debt. This is the thing that nobody's talking about. Debt. There's so much debt in the world, right? And that's because you know historically, for the last few thousand years, or and since the industrial revolution, um, the in terms of the share of national income across the globe in developed countries, it's basically gone two thirds of the profits, you know, the national income goes to workers and one third goes to capital for reinvestment and everything like that. Mm. And in the last 30 years, that's flipped. It's now two thirds goes to capital and one third goes to workers and at that same time, there's about been a doubling of the labour force, right, because women have started participating in full numbers in the workplace, which means that whereas one man 50 years ago um, could take home two-thirds, you know, proportionately two-thirds of national income, um, it's now two people take home about 17% each. So it's a yep. massive, massive shift in power. But the whole thing is that if you reinvest all this thing, you just accumulate huge globs of capital that slosh around the world but don't have anyone to spend money on anything because nobody's got any money because capital's got all the money. And so, yes. and so what happens is to keep that whole system bubbling along and this is what's happened over the last 30 years, is capital just goes, oh, here, borrow some more, you guys. Here, everyone, workers, mm-hmm. here, all, everyone borrow money to keep this system going. Oh, yeah, we'll call it, you know, debt or whatever. But the, And you can see it, the power of that debt is decreasing and decreasing because actually if you owe somebody, you know, 100 bucks, then you've got a problem, you, you've got to pay it back. If... If you owe somebody, you know, like $2 trillion or $4 trillion, which is what workers owe capital, you know, in theory, then it's actually capital who've got the problem. You know, and their bargaining power is decreasing. The truth is that you can basically take on debt for virtually nothing because debt itself doesn't have the power that it used to have. Like, all the asset prices are so inflated that it's just pretend money that's out there. And so there has to be a massive reckoning around that whole debt bomb that's there. And it's not going to be, you know, people go, oh, well, we'll have to all pay it back and it'll be all painful and everything like that. I don't think that that's true. I don't think that, like, I think, like, like it's capital that's got the problem. I've got this house. I've got a nice pool out the back. I could just sit by the pool I dare capital to come along and try and take it off me. You know, like, you know what I mean? Like, they don't need the the, the house anyway. You know, because they're faceless corporations. They don't actually live anywhere. No. So I think you know there is at a macroeconomic level, it's going to be fascinating. You know, I was talking to George McLeanus the other day. He was saying yep. he thinks that America's just going to jack up interest rates unilaterally, they're just going to suddenly go, okay, everyone's now going to pay 10%. Not because it's a great thing to do for the economy, but simply because you've got to do something to get people, you know, to, to shake everything up and make capital more productive. Mm. Um, it's, it's, it's a fascinating area. Like, if I were you, you know, my financial advice, such as it is, um, which would be terrible is just load up on debt because you know it's it's the de- it's the creditors who have no power at the moment mm. yeah very much yeah so there you go that's my economics 101 coming through <laughs> <laughs> so charles yes. thank you so much for the chance to speak with you today please know the things that you said 
if unhinged, are very special and highly valued. Thank you. <laughs> they are a bit unhinged, but please don't cut it to make me sound more unhinged. <laughs> no, no, I, I will be true to what the conversation we've had. It's been, it has been excellent. Thank you. Oh, thanks, Steve. Yeah, I really enjoyed it, and and thank you. It's such a good thing that you've got going with this podcast. It's a really, I heard the um, Mark Humphreys one. That was great. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it was a great chat with Mark. Yeah, you were lucky. I was thinking about I might ask you the same questions that I ask all of the other guys from the Chaser, and then I thought maybe asking him how his wedding went in India isn't going to quite work out. <laughs> yeah, no, the, um, that was Dom's wedding in India, yes. and um, yeah, no, that was that was a very odd experience. I can imagine. Yeah, no, but it was fantastic. It's the best wedding I've ever been to. It's amazing. It's three days. It's a traditional Hindu wedding, and it was just three days of dancing and um, and eating vegetarian stuff and not drinking. But you know, like <laughs> in yes. the in the extraordinary heat, beautiful food and everything like that. But but also, you get the sense of. These people know how to party. Like, they've been doing weddings for far longer than the wedding. You know, there's 5,000 years of uninterrupted wedding ceremony. Of course the schedule blows out to about three days because, <laughs> you know, like, imagine, you know, they're just adding everything to the schedule, you know, it's the cumulative thing. And it's, it's brilliant. It means that you get to know all the guests. Like, every – I met so many new people there – and we stayed in contact because it was such a bonding experience. It was lovely. And it's not like the bride and groom nicked off to the local park for some artsy-fartsy shots. No, exactly. They, yeah, well, they didn't need to, did they? Because they looked spectacular um, in all their traditional garb. And everyone got dressed up in the traditional garb. I still got my, you know, traditional wedding so suit. It's so much fun. Yeah, that's such a great story. If people want to catch that, that's on Dom's uh, Humans at Twitter episode that's about 20 before this. I think around the 150s, you can jump in and have a listen to that. I'd love to. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look that one up. I, I didn't realise you'd done Dom. Charles, uh, do you, what, what social accounts would you want people to know about that you would want them to check out and uh, a click? Well, you should uh, follow me at Charles Firth on Twitter. And um, you should uh, follow The Chaser um, on facebook.com slash The Chaser. Mm. And you should always uh, check in at chaser.com.au whenever you um, feel like it, I suppose. Always. Yeah. Always check in. Yeah, exactly. Well, except we don't update it that, like, check in every couple of days. <laughs> yeah. Just check in. Don't read anything. Yeah, just, just check open the page. Yeah, just check in and go, oh, all right, it's the same as last time. <laughs> <laughs> this has been Humans at Twitter, and I can confirm that at Charles Firth is indeed human. <laughs>